Welcome back, everyone. I'm Sarah Peck, and this is the Startup Pregnant Podcast. There are a couple of things that I struggle with as a new mom. I want to talk about two, even though there are definitely more than two things that I struggle with. First, how do you exercise as a new parent? And second, how do you deal with the crazy mental game that is feeling kind of incompetent at everything that you are doing? For many people, being a mother is a challenge because it's not necessarily intuitive or easy. If you are used to being good at something or you have developed a level of expertise in your chosen field, like having a professional career or being an athlete or being a competent leader, then there's a lot that happens where you might deal with imposter syndrome when you become a parent, and that can be really hard. Enter Erin Stutland. She is an author, a mind-body wellness expert, and an amazing teacher. I stumbled across her video classes, and they were perfect for my journey into motherhood. They were these at-home videos, and I know that at-home videos aren't necessarily the most revolutionary thing, yet for some reason, you'll hear me fangirl about it on this episode, they were really, really perfect for me. They let me do these mini five-minute workouts from home. Sometimes I could do a 20-minute workout, or I could even elect to do a 40-minute workout if I had enough time and space. And I never knew how much time I would have, so I love that she had all of these different options. But the other reason that I really loved them was because they included mantras and uplifting phrases to say alongside moving your body. So yes, I was, and I currently am at times, shouting along these crazy mantras to videos from my home office while I'm shaking my booty, and I am not afraid to admit it. So today we get to have Erin on the show. Here's some of her background. She's the author of the book, Mantras in Motion, Manifesting What You Want Through Mindful Movement. It was published by Hay House, and it's out as of January 2019. She has built a multi-platform brand that reaches over 70,000 people in 155 countries around the world. Her videos combine principles from dance, hit, toning, yoga, and meditation, and she focuses on helping people cleanse stuck energy and transform negative thinking into possibility. I don't have the words to describe it, which is why I brought her on the show to talk about it. But more than that, I also wanted to go back and talk with her about her journey into entrepreneurship and the years that it took, years plural, that it took to build the business that she has today. We talk about how it evolved over time. She started as a dancer, and then she hosted workshops and over time built this business. And then we get to dig into her recent journey into parenthood, which happened for her later in life. She was 39 when she had her first kid. So we get to talk about all of that, too. I'm so glad that you joined us here on the show today, and I can't wait to have you listen. Welcome to the Startup Pregnant Podcast, where we talk to creative leaders about what it means to be an entrepreneur and a parent. I'm your host, Sarah K. Peck. Hey, hey, I made a thing and I want to tell you all about it. It's one of our new guides and it's up on our website. One of the biggest struggles in my business isn't coming up with new ideas or doing more. One of the biggest challenges is focusing, figuring out how to do less, and making sure I have clarity about doing just the right things. I wish I could say that I had it all figured out and I have a magic wand to make life easier, poof, presto, but not quite. But what I do have is a structure of questions, just three questions that I return to time and time again that helps me sort myself out whenever those piles of to-do lists are getting way too long. It's a three-step process and I walk you through how to do it and what it looks like. Three questions for clarity, simplicity, and a new superpower, which is saying no to the things that you don't actually need to do. If you want the free guide, head to startuppregnant.com slash stop. That's startuppregnant.com slash stop, S-T-O-P, and you can grab the guide for free. The link is also in the show notes. It's our freebie guide for figuring out what to drop, how to do less, and how to simplify your business whenever you feel the chaos descending upon you. All right, everyone, I am 
so, so excited to welcome Erin Stetland to the show. Erin, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited. I know you have a new little one. I want to ask you so many questions today. The first question I almost always ask is, can you tell me what time you woke up this morning and what you did? Mm. This morning, I was up at 6.45, which is a little later than usual for us. And my husband went in and got the babe, changed her diaper, and brought her in to the bed, and I nursed her. And that was how the day started. That's how we start most of our days these days. <laughs> but sometimes mm. it's a little earlier than 6.45. What's the earliest that you've been getting up? She doesn't get up really much before 6. So usually mm. like around 6.15. So 6.45 felt luxurious today. And then what happens after you nurse? And what does the rest of your morning look like? I nursed. We played in the bed for a little bit. She is now like fully crawling around, like does not sit still. So she was crawling and climbing and laughing and playing. And then at about, let's see, maybe about 7.30, 7.45, I played some music. We played some, what did we play this morning? Some Nora Jones, some Grateful Dead. I think that those were the two main main musicians playing this morning. 7.45, 8 o'clock, we got up. We went out into the living room. We played a little bit there, took some of her toys out, let her crawl around a little bit more. And by about 8.30, 8.45, she was ready to go down for her first nap. And I was still in my pajamas, as I usually am <laughs> for the whole morning. And I put her down for her nap. And then we have a wonderful nanny who arrived at 9. So she got here at 9. And then that's when I can start to actually get dressed and become human. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Become a human dedicated to your own self as opposed yes. to the survival of another one. <laughs> exactly. Oh. Exactly. It's a great question. She's obviously seven months, so I haven't I haven't like really thought about that. Wow, my mornings have changed dramatically <laughs> since having a baby. <laughs> what did your mornings used to look like pre kids? Well, I certainly wasn't up at 6.45. I'm not an early morning person at all. This is taking like a lot of training for me to even get myself to bed earlier so that I can actually get in some sleep. I would say I normally would wake up by about 7.45. 7.45, 8 o'clock, I would get up. I would make myself some lemon hot water, make myself a tea. I would do a little movement, take a shower, do some journaling and get started with my day. And like, I wouldn't really start like working till about 10. But I would kind of do like my pre work before then. It actually funny enough, it doesn't happen that much later than it happened before. But there's a lot that happens before that happens now. <laughs> 100%. I totally yeah. know what you mean. I love this question, because it gives us such a setup for like just a sneak peek into your life and seeing, oh, what does childcare look like? How many kids does she have? Does she have kids? It's just such a gentle way to ease into like, who are you? Yeah, uh, yeah. I want to ask you first to talk about your business and to take us back in time a little bit. Like, how did you first become an entrepreneur? And can you tell people who don't know what your business is and what you do? Yeah. Well, I would say that I became an entrepreneur from the moment I graduated college. And I say that even though because I wasn't necessarily didn't start a business per se. I studied dance in college. I danced the company in Chicago. I shortly after moved to New York to dance with a couple other companies and moved into acting and performing of all kinds. So while I wasn't necessarily running a business, I like to consider that I was running a business. I was running my own business of getting myself work. It's very close to the entrepreneurial journey where you're really creating your own schedule, you're managing your own finances, you're going out there trying to get the money, get work of any kind. So I think that really prepared me, being an artist really prepared me for becoming an entrepreneur. And funny enough, as an artist, so how I started my business was that as an artist, some of you may know that you really are piecemealing your life together in terms of making money while you're auditioning and trying to get work. So I had, you know, every job that you can imagine under the sun, everything from bartending to real estate to working in a doctor's office to babysitting, like you name it, I probably did it, which was also great. You know, you learn a lot of different aspects of jobs and how people really survive and work out there. The one thing that I absolutely knew was 
anytime I had an office job, I even like signed up for temping and I was like, I'm miserable. Like I cannot work in an office. What was great about real estate was that I can be out and about all throughout the day. One of the jobs that I had was I started teaching fitness. Fitness was a great marriage of movement, dance, and also performing the acting side. I loved teaching. I'd always loved teaching. I taught dance when I was in college. So this was great. And and one thing that I was really passionate about at the same time while I was teaching fitness was self-development. You know, I would take yoga class regularly. I was I loved all of the aspects of spirituality, how to improve your life, how to get better, how to change your beliefs, how to clarify your intentions. I loved this aspect. And, you know, I had been working with a life coach from a very young age. The next thing that I did was begin to combine self-development and fitness together. I studied with this really wonderful woman named Patricia Moreno, who had created a method that combined fitness with spirituality. I worked with her for several years and then went off on my own to take a lot of the concepts that I had learned over the years and combine them with other concepts that I knew around dance and movement. So I started workshops in New York City under the brand of Shrink Session, where I combined everything from cardio dance to yoga, breath work, meditation, mantras with aspects of life coaching, goal setting. And it started as workshops in New York City. That's how it really began, live workshops. And then from there, it grew. The Shrink Sessions brand name was always so catchy to me because I knew it had like double and triple meaning. How did you come up with that name? (laughs) That's a good question. When I was starting off on my own and I knew I needed a good brand name, I was like, I was actually in a really wonderful mastermind at the time. I had started to get some business coaching because I was running these workshops and I was really running them at the time on the side, you know, to make money. This was still like my side hustle while performing was still my main gig. And I realized I was like, you know, I've got this like business. I know nothing about running a business. So I finally started getting some business coaching and I was in this wonderful mastermind of about 25 women who had all different kinds of businesses and still friends with these women to this day. And I remember, you know, there were some women that were just so clever and so creative and they were so good at naming their products and their ideas. And I remember one day I was, it was the summertime. I was hanging out with some friends at their beach house and I was like, oh, I'm not good at naming things. That's just like not what I'm good at. I'm good at other things, but naming things is not my thing. And one day in the morning, I opened my journal. I was doing some journaling. And I'm like, Aaron, you are not getting up from this seat until you come up with a really killer name for your brand. Like, And so I started brainstorming, brainstorming. And I just really set my intention and like got really determined. And I was like, you are good at naming something. Like, Which is what I teach people to do is to really change how you talk to yourself, change what you think about yourself, change what you believe about yourself. And so I actually use that on myself to say, Aaron, you're good at naming things. You're creative. You're a genius. Now come on and sit down and come up with something great. And so then Shrink Session, I always love a double entendre. So Shrink Session is really about, you know, shrinking your waistline, but really more so it's about shrinking your doubts, shrinking your fears, shrinking any beliefs that hold you back. And then, of course, the idea of going to a shrink or a therapist, which I love and think is valuable to do as well. So that's where it all came together. I remember the first time I saw it. I had to think about it and then realized how many different ways it could be used. And I was like, oh, this is really clever. Like, this is a clever name. I always appreciate a good name. Yeah. Uh, Well, when was the shift for you? When did you realize you had a thing that you were going to take full time? And what was that like? That's a great question. I remember when I was in this mastermind and my business was really starting to grow. And I wanted to take a lot of the things that I was doing in my workshops. And not only was I teaching the physical workshops, but then I was doing some goal setting, creative, like manifesting workshops, also sort of in-person small groups. And I knew that I wanted to take these things and start to put them online to grow the platform. I knew that I would be limited with just live workshops in New York City. And that's really what I was in the mastermind for, to learn how to take these things and turn them into online products and programs. So I was starting to get busy and I was creating content and I was blogging and I was taking my concepts and trying to figure out how to make this online program. And I remember getting a call for an audition. And, you know, it was in the middle of the afternoon, you know, I I think I got the call, let's say at 11 o'clock in the morning. And they're like, can you be there at two o'clock? And I remember thinking like, this is such a pain in my ass. Like, I have to stop what I'm doing. My mind was like, go to this stupid audition. That's like a long shot. Anyway, I have to like, take an hour to like, get myself ready and get myself looking cute, right? Because I was probably working in like my sweatpants. I have to like, prepare these lines, like go over them. And I have like three hours to do it. So now I'm going to spend 
three hours preparing for this thing. And then I'm gonna have to go there and I'm gonna have to wait, you know, and then I'm not guaranteed that anything will happen. And I remember being there in the waiting room and feeling for the first time at an audition, feeling annoyed. And that was not how I normally felt at auditions. And there was one thing that I always promised myself. And I really remember this when I was acting and, you know, you run around crazy, you run around, you go to workshops, you do all these things to get work. And I remember saying to myself a long time ago that I will do this for as long as this is fun for me, as long as this is enjoyable and fun. And I remember that audition in that afternoon. And I remember feeling annoyed and that it wasn't Mm -hmm. fun. And that was the shift. And I was like, I would rather spend my time working on my business where I know that there's something's going to come of it. And I also realized that I was tired of waiting for someone to tell me that I could use my talent and my creativity. Because that's yes. what it was as an actor. You're, you're waiting for someone to say, yes, you may have this job and you may now express yourself. And I was like, I don't have time to wait to express myself. I have too much to share, too much to say. And this is holding me back. And that was really the big shift for me. And of course, you know, from that point on, I still auditioned a little bit, but that was really a turning point for me internally. Mm, I love it that you said, I will do this for as long as it's fun for me. Can you give us a sense of how many years you spent with this as your side hustle and, or did you still cobble together like part-time jobs and other gigs? How long did it take you to really get traction? Cause I know a lot of people listening. It's so easy to look back and be like, wow, they had instant success and they had instant success. So what was it like for you? Well, here's the thing. First and foremost, it's important to note. I was very used to living on a shoestring budget. Okay. So it wasn't as though I was working this job that was paying me six figures. And then I was trying to start a business and work up to that amount. I was lucky enough to get this amazing deal on an apartment in New York City, like the most ridiculous deal one would ever hear of, like the most ridiculous. So I had a very low overhead and I was used to, you know, cobbling things together. So when I started my business, I was actually making the most consistent money that I had ever made because I wasn't making consistent money as an art. You know, I was making making a little money here, there, and everywhere. I was bartending. So with bartending, it's like some nights you make this amount, some nights you make that amount. And so for me with the business was actually the most consistent money that I was making ever. Was I bartending at that point? I don't think I was. I mean, because my business was my main thing. You know what I mean? So I mean, it took a while, obviously, before I felt like, oh, yeah, I'm making really good money. I made good money doing real estate. I think it was maybe, you know, a year or two years that I could just do my business. But again, I think it's really important to have a point of reference. I didn't need a lot of money. You know what I mean? Right, to, to really right. get by and survive. So, yeah. That's, but it, it, that's so but it took off nicely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's great. And so now... What does your business look like today? Like, tell us about, because you have this, to me, from the outside, right? It's so easy to look at other people, but you have this big brand. You have been on television. You have programs. I've done these programs. I think I was dancing to your class the other week. What does your business look like today? And yeah, tell us about it. So today I have several different products and programs that I sell online. I have the Shrink Session program. It's everything. It's several different workouts of different lengths, varying lengths from five minutes to 45 minute workouts. It includes guided meditations. It includes coaching PDFs. It's all about creating movement in your body and movement in your life. That's really what the entire brand is about, creating movement in your body and movement in your life. And so the Shrink Session program really does that. I have Soul Stroll programs. The Soul Stroll is it's an audio playlist with original music. I'm coaching over it with mantras that are, you know, meant to guide you and inspire you. People use the soul stroll for walks. They use it for runs. They use it on the elliptical. They play it in their car on their way to meetings. I have another program called Magical Manifestors, which is a creative goal setting course about creating less hustle in your life and more flow. And then I have a book coming out very soon, coming out very soon called Mantras in Motion, Manifesting What You Want Through Mindful Movement, which basically takes all the concepts that I've been teaching over the years and puts it into book form. I have a TV show that I host called Altered, which is an inspiring weight loss transformation show where we take couples before they're getting married and help them transform their lives before they meet at the altar. 
So there's many aspects to the brand now, which totally is in alignment with everything that I was doing before. I like to have lots of different things going on. But really, mostly, I would say that most of the stuff I do now is online. I do teach some in-person classes still in New York City. I've done lessons having a baby. Yeah. And we reach people in over 155 countries around the world, You know, close to 75,000 people online and through social media channels. So that's where the business is today. The thing that I find, and for people listening, I am neither an affiliate, and Erin's not a sponsor of the program, but I am going to gush about her stuff a little bit. The thing I find most amazing about these programs, which video workouts that are combined with these mantras that you chant, which to me, I freaking love being in my bedroom with the air conditioner on in the summer and like shouting affirmations while I'm (laughs) hopping around. I don't know what it is. The thing that's been most remarkable for me is how sticky it is. I have done affirmations. You know, I'm a trained yoga teacher. I've done affirmations. I journal all the time. And there's something about pairing it with motion and movement and repetition that I'll be walking down the street and listening to a song and I start to like step to the beat. And then I find myself repeating these mantras. And I'm like, oh, this is the key to changing your mind. Like all of those sticky little traps in your mind that you're not even aware of. It feels like I'm literally rewiring my brain. And like I said, everybody listening, we're not affiliated in any way, at least right now. (laughs) Like, can you talk a little bit about why or how it works, either the science behind it or what I'm struggling to explain right now? Yeah, I think you explained it beautifully. It is about rewiring your brain. It's exactly what I talk about actually in the beginning of the book, because I think you really nailed it when you said, you know, I'm sure a lot of people listening who are entrepreneurs are are into the self-development. You've done your affirmations, you've done your vision boards, you've done your meditations. And for whatever reason, sometimes these concepts just won't stick. Like you just can't get it. And I think that, you know, our body has so much information. Our cells have so many memories, like from way back from our past. And so even though we could sit in a meditation and we could say, I am powerful, I am strong. The mind is thinking that, but the body's like, yeah, no, no. Remember that one time when you were in sixth grade and you were on the playground, you got chosen last? Yeah, it's because you're not strong, you're not powerful or whatever it may be. And so I think that our body has so many different memories. And there was a study done about how fatigue happens in the body. You know, why do we get fatigued when we're exercising? They did two different groups of cyclists. One group was just doing their regular cycling on a bike. And the other group was actually given affirmations to say while they were cycling, like whether it's, I can do it, I can do it, I can do it. And what they found is that the people who were saying the affirmations, the mantras, their endurance increased. They were able to go longer while they were cycling. And what they really discovered and deduced from that study was that fatigue doesn't just happen in the body, it happens in the mind. And so, you know, what I do with Shrink Session with all the programs is really combine these two together so that we are increasing our strength of mind and body at the same exact time. And you're really rewiring and reprogramming your mind while you're doing it. Because in the past, what would happen is you might exercise. And I think this happens to a lot of us. We exercise Maybe we get a glimpse of ourselves in the mirror and all of a sudden we're like, oh God, that doesn't look good. And you don't realize if, you know, going back to the study, that by having this negative conversation in your mind, it takes you out of the movement. And all of a sudden you're tired. Whereas you were like on fire before until you caught a glimpse of yourself in the mirror and now you're having this negative conversation with yourself. And so what's so beautiful is that what the work that we do, it doesn't even allow for that negative conversation to come up. While you're moving, you're continuing this positive conversation, which then changes how you feel in your body. And that's why it kind of gets stuck inside the body. It's just so powerful when you're doing it. So the two together combined are really magical and they are sticky. And that's totally the point. (laughs) (laughs) It is. They're so sticky because I'll be walking around and the little phrases, because they rhyme and they go to a beat and they're very simple. They'll stick in my mind. And I'm like, it's my time. And I'm like, okay, Sarah. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Um, But it's great too, because I just think it's so cool to have agency over your conscious programming because so much of our wiring is just stuck patterns from when we were four or seven or 12 and we learned something and we happen to think that that's who we are, even though it doesn't have to be. This is magical stuff to me. The other thing I want to point out and then talk to you about is this came along for me in my life personally when I became a new mom. 
I used to be such a gym person or like a studio person. I would go to a lot of yoga classes. And now between breastfeeding in the morning and then trying to get my kid out the door and then not knowing if I'm going to show up at daycare at like 845 or will it be 850, it will be 910, oh, I missed the class, I can't get to the class. I have found exercise to be a completely different beast story entirely as this new person that I am. For the first time, I know other people may have gotten this enlightenment many years ago. I'm just welcoming myself to the party. I found video workouts and I was like, these things are kind of cool. And I was introduced to your program and I said, oh, this is amazing. Five minute workouts, 20 minute workouts, things that actually fit in, things that you can do from home. I just think it's so great for people who have time constraints or are caretaking. And with that kind of segue, I want to ask you all about your journey into parenting. So your little one at the time of this recording is seven months, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Seven months old. So you're still mm-hmm. in the, all the new of it. Yes. Can you take us back, given what we know now about your business, like what you've been doing and what your business looks like, when did you decide that you wanted to have kids and what was that process like for you? Yeah, I got married a little bit later. I was 37 when I got married. So, you know, once we got married, talking about kids was on the horizon kind of right away. It's actually really funny to say this. I don't think I've like said this out loud since like I've had a baby and now feeling this like incredible shift in my life. But I don't think I was someone who was like, I need to have a baby. That's like the most important thing to me. What was most important to me in my life was having a really wonderful partnership, a relationship, and was also having creative expression in my life, whether that was through my business, through my art, whatever it might be. Those felt like the two major things that I wanted to accomplish. And so when, you know, I got married and we started having the conversation about family, I had a lot of ambivalence around it. And it wasn't necessarily just because I wanted a career and I saw that that would be, you know, kind of in the way. It was more like, you know, just like, do I want to be a mom? You know, what is that like? Do I want to be a mom? Like, can I be a good mom? You know, I actually had a wonderful therapist at the time that I really had to work through my ambivalence. And I thought, and this is interesting because I thought that the ambivalence maybe meant that I wasn't going to be a good mom. I'm like, well, if I'm ambivalent, like, shouldn't I really want that? And she really helped me see that ambivalence was absolutely and totally okay. And to really accept and embrace it. And that having ambivalence about becoming a parent didn't have anything to do with whether or not you could parent successfully. And that was a really important first step for me. We decided, you know, to start trying and we were trying and and having a hard time conceiving. It certainly wasn't the story of like, yes, it just, you know, tried and got pregnant. One, two, three. That was not the case for us at all. You know, I started to do all of the natural things that one in the wellness world would do. I started going to acupuncture and well, I was going to acupuncture before, but, you know, I was doing all my research and changing my diet and taking supplements and getting all the tests and testing and everything looked good. Everything on the test from the outward looked good. All my husband's tests look good. All my tests look good. And then the question was like, why are you not getting pregnant? You know, what's the problem here? And that again, played really deeply into my own ambivalence because I was like, well, maybe I'm not meant to, you know, maybe that's just not for me. And like, if I wanted it more, then maybe I would be pregnant by now. And, you know, I think it's such an interesting topic because when you're trying to have, get pregnant and it's not happening, you start to read all these things and you read a blog post who somebody writes and they're like, and then I finally let go and it just happened, you know? And I think that's great. I always want to be so careful when I'm talking about conception because I don't think that there's just one thing, one reason why somebody finally gets pregnant. And I think like, Mm -hmm. I know for myself, when I was trying to get pregnant, I really thought it was like going to be one thing. Oh, it's going to be because I finally let go. Or it's going to be because I finally cut gluten out of my diet. Or it's going to be because, you know, whatever it may be. And I just think that getting pregnant is such a bigger, magical, unknown thing. And it is not just about one thing that you finally do. It's like this magical coming together of timing. And I don't think anyone ever really knows exactly why, you know, why or when. Yeah. But for us, for us, what was really interesting is so we decided to visit a fertility specialist 
who again ran all the tests, everything looked good. He was like, look, you can keep trying naturally and see what happens. You know, given your age, you might want to start to consider treatments. We did IUI. We did a couple IUIs, assisted IUIs with Clomid, one with Lechazole, and then one natural one. The IUIs didn't work for us. So then we decided to move to IVF. And that was a big step for me because again, here I was feeling ambivalent. Now we've tried for months and months and months. It hasn't happened. So now you're even more afraid of failing, right? So you've got that fear of failing on your heart. And you're like, you know, this is like kind of the final thing that we're going to try. And what if it still doesn't happen? And so I had a lot of fear around it, not just around doing IVF. I felt though, to be honest, like I had to work through my own thoughts around failure. Like, am I failing? Like, this is what I'm supposed to do is be able to get pregnant. And it's not happening. So I gained the courage to do it. And I had a wonderful IVF experience. Wonderful. And luckily, we did one round of IVF and on the first transfer got pregnant, which was great. And wonderful doctor, wonderful experience, totally empowering. The experience was so empowering for me and for my husband. It was like a wonderful bonding experience. And what was interesting, just to kind of round this all out, was when I had the baby, I ended up having to have a C-section because I had preeclampsia during labor. And she's performing a C-section. And in the middle of the C-section, she's like, do you know that you have really bad endometriosis? Which I didn't know that I had. My gynecologist had always thought that maybe I had a little, but endometriosis is really hard to detect. And I didn't have a lot of symptoms because I probably developed it, you know, during my 20s. I took really great care of myself. I ate well. So whatever symptoms I had had subsided for so many years. So I didn't know that it was, you know, it's still kind of like scar tissue living there. And so the endometriosis is probably a pretty good reason why I was having trouble conceiving because the eggs couldn't go down the fallopian tubes, basically, they would get stuck and they wouldn't go to meet the sperm. So IVF was a great option for us. And it worked. And that was really the journey of, of getting pregnant. And it was, I think it's really so important to emphasize that everybody's journey of getting pregnant is unique as they are. You know, yeah. there's not just one way and it's, you know, a winding road. And I think it's just important that you have like the right people around you to support you through the process. Thank you for saying this out loud, because exactly what you're saying, there's so many different threads and layers. There's mental, spiritual, emotional, biological, physical, cultural, and there's a lot of emphasis on, if you just manifest it, you can make it happen. Right. And there's so much more. And biology is pretty cruel. You know, the way that the human species is designed, there's a lot of people who can't get pregnant. Mm-hmm. And they didn't choose it. Yeah. And it's mm-hmm. different from what they want or desire. It's not their fault. And so these simplified statements, like you're saying, can be really hurtful because it's so complex. And obviously, like, or maybe not obviously, let me not use that word. Like, Of course, your mindset is important. And of course, taking care of your health is important. And of course, being supported is important. But you can have all those things and it can still not work. It can be hard. And so yeah. I'm, really, I'm really grateful you're sharing that. Yeah. And congratulations on, Thank you. on a pregnancy. Yeah. yeah. So how was pregnancy yeah. and keep going, keep telling us more. Yeah. It was a great journey, like I said, a really empowering experience. And I also just want to emphasize that too. Well, I'm guessing a lot of people listening are already pregnant or have had a baby, but if you're on baby number two or you're struggling, I think, you know, there's also a lot, first of all, I cannot believe the amount of women that I talk to that end up having fertility treatments first and foremost. And secondly, I just really want to emphasize I think there's a lot of like fear around it. And I think that if you have really great doctors, it can be a really empowering experience to go through even IVF. So and that's important to say, got pregnant, right? <laughs> Literally, the week that I found out that I was pregnant was the week that I got an offer for my book, a book offer. <laughs> um, I was like, Oh, my God, really? I'm really gonna do this at the same time. So funny enough, like the book was due like a couple of weeks before the baby was due, <laughs> I ended up having to get a little bit of an extension on the book. Found out I was pregnant, got the book deal. And then when I was 10 weeks pregnant, got a call from the production company from the show. We had already done season one and it had already aired and it had done really well. Got a call from the production company and they're like, we got picked up for season two and we're going to be shooting this summer. And I'm like, okay, well, guys, I got to tell you something. <laughs> you know, I said, I want to <laughs> let you know, I'm re- it's still really early but I'm pregnant. And so if we're going to be shooting the show, like a, we have to start sooner than later and be like, I'm going to be growing on camera throughout the process. Cause it's a three month process, the show. 
And so it was all these things that came together at once, the show, the pregnancy, the book, it all just happened at once. And so I was kind of going back and forth between LA and New York for several months while writing the book and shooting the show. And then finished shooting when I was got back to New York when I was 31 weeks pregnant so that I can just kind of like be here through the end of the pregnancy, finish the book and deliver this baby. <laughs> what was that like? Was that overwhelming? Was that exhilarating? When you have this confluence of three things happening all at once, all things <laughs> that you ostensibly want, what's yeah. the experience like? <laughs> it was great. It was really exciting. It was also really hard. I found pregnancy to be challenging. I'm someone obviously who's in fitness. And when I say fitness, I use that word really loosely because I don't even think of myself as fitness. I think of myself as a mover, someone who loves to help people move. That being said, like I'm on camera. My body's more or less like looked the same for the last, you know, 10, 15 years or whatever. I know how to dress myself. Now all of a sudden my body's changing. I have no idea how to dress myself. I have no idea how to look cute. You know what I mean? Like, like that was the biggest thing for me. And like I'm on camera and I'm growing and expanding. And it's one thing to like grow and expand like in the privacy of your own life. But like, I'm literally like being watched on camera. So it brought up a lot of stuff for me, quite honestly, from an emotional standpoint. So that part was hard. And at the same time, I was trying to go inward to write this book while having to kind of be outward on camera. I won't say that it was an easy process. The good thing about it was that while shooting the show, even the first year, I was able to kind of take a little bit of a backseat in the business, kind of like just pause things in the business. So the downtime was on writing. And I spent a lot of time laying around a lot. Like I lay, I would write, then I would go lay down and then I would write some more and then I would go shoot a segment and then I would come lay down and lay down some more. There's a lot of laying down. Oh, it's because your body is doing this incredible thing and it's hard work, but the experience as the facilitator of it is sometimes like, why am I so tired? <laughs> yes. Well, that's, I think what I've struggled with too is like, and I know you could probably relate, like as someone who's like a doer and I like to get things done and I like to move around and I'm, you know, and I'm very physical. Like one thing that I really appreciated and came to appreciate was like, especially in New York City, you know, as someone living in New York City, like I'm used to walking out my door and like walking really fast, walking down the subway stairs, walking up the subway stairs, navigating through the people, dodging the cars, you know what I mean? Like I move fast. And like when you're yeah. pregnant, like that is just not how you move. And that was very humbling for me to be like, wow, this is what it's like to not feel really physically in my body and feel physically fit. And I felt very vulnerable, especially in New York City, like really vulnerable being out, like carrying this human and, and wanting to keep myself very safe. So that part of it was challenging. I think a lot of people can identify with that. And yes, New York City is filled with type A people, I think. Yeah. Um, my husband yeah. is like, yeah, you're one of them. Probably. And I'm like, right. you know, like, oh yeah, I'm here for like, a who, me. <laughs> me? No, I'm not, not compared to all these other people. And it's like, yeah, right. just look at the pond you put yourself in. But I remember during my first pregnancy, there was just like a feeling of devastation because all of these like attachments really to identity, you know, yeah. I'm fast, I'm quick, I get things done, I do it by myself, I'm capable, I'm ambitious. Like all of these things, they're really pleasurable to hold on to yeah. as an identity and then you get pregnant and there isn't a culture that says oh wow you have bigger thighs aren't you amazing like that's not the right. culture we live in <laughs> like look right. at those gorgeous like hips and like the fat deposits you have on you and like and you do move slower and like your bosom is this much bigger than it used to be and at the same time that like I'm swelling up I'm losing all of these things that I'd grown quite fond of about who I thought I was. And it was such a reckoning for me and it was really hard. And I'm wondering, how did you experience it? And how did you guide yourself or were you guided through it? Like, What was that like for you? There were a lot of different things that came up. One thing that came up for me that I thought was really interesting, I was like, this is really messed up. As women, when we're not pregnant, we're supposed to work hard on our bodies. We're supposed to take care of our bodies, exercise, move our bodies so that we can be, you know, sort of in the best shape possible. Of course, there's a beautiful sort of body positive movement happening right now that's about kind of embracing, you know, wherever you are and the size you are. But I would say culturally, you know, we're really kind of supposed to like be in good shape and take care of ourselves, right? And then when we are pregnant and our bodies change, like completely and totally out of our control, we're also supposed to totally embrace that. like 
we're not allowed to complain about it. We're supposed to be like, isn't this amazing? I'm pregnant. Like we're supposed to like fully enjoy it. And I'm like, these two things are in conflict with one another, you know? And it was interesting. I remember talking to my mother-in-law and she said that when she was pregnant, that like women, her friends, like they couldn't wait to buy maternity clothes. Like they were so excited to buy maternity clothes. And I remember like when I got pregnant, I was like, oh gosh, shoot, I have to now buy maternity clothes. Like that was like the last thing that I wanted to do. And I think it, you know, has something to do with the fact that in today's day and age, like there's more women working, there's more women out there who are doing other things than just, you know, wanting to become a mom and be then a housewife. And she works as well, but I think that it's changed so much. I thought that was a really big conflict. It was like, how am I supposed to embrace both these things? Like, how am I supposed to embrace like taking wonderful care of myself and looking amazing and now let's embrace this like larger size that I have no control over. The other thing that I thought was really interesting, like to your point about our culture was like, especially in New York City, you know, you walk down the street as a pregnant woman. First of all, it's amazing to me how many people can decide to comment on your body. I can't tell you how many people asked me if I was having twins. I carried really big. I'm a small little person and I had a very big baby. I was at the airport and I was maybe only five months pregnant. So I wasn't even that far along. I was showing pretty well. And I was at the airport and I told the TSA guy, I said, you know what? I would rather have a pat on. I didn't even want to go through the metal detector. And he was like, he made a big deal about it. And he was like, it's just a metal detector. It's like the same thing that you do when you go to a bank and blah, blah, blah. I was like, I was like, yeah, but you know what? Like, it's my choice. And what's the big deal? I'll do a pat down. Then I could tell he was like annoyed at me, whatever. Then he turns to me and he says, what have you been eating? I'm like, excuse me? And he was like, well, how many babies do you have in there? Like, I don't even know what rose up in me. Like this anger, this like total like mama bear anger rose up in me. And I walked over to him and I'm not kidding you. I don't know. I would never normally do this. I walked (laughs) over to him. I put my hands on his shoulders. Like I touched the bed. I put my hands on his shoulders. I looked him square in the eye and I said, sir, don't ever ask a pregnant woman how many babies she's having. When you say that, you're making it sound like I'm huge and you have no right to comment on the size of my body. Thank you very much. Have a good day, sir. <laughs> and, I took, and like people saw it. Like I, I, I like held the guy's shoulders. Oh my God, this is like, this is pregnant, Aaron. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think I would never normally do that. I couldn't believe that he thought it was okay to comment on my body. And like, why do people think it's okay to comment on the size of anyone's body? Like, you know, whatever. That part was amazing to me. It was also amazing to me. Last thing I'll just share in New York City, you walk around, you see a lot of people. It was Latin men. It was Muslim men. It was African-American men. These men of different cultures, you would walk by and they'd be like, praise you. God bless. Congratulations. They would like shower you with great love. And then it's like, I'm not kidding you. It was like the white men would look at you and just like be afraid to even just look and then like, like look away because they like just couldn't even handle it. But it was always like men of different culture that I felt were really celebrating the pregnancy. And I thought that was really interesting. Hmm. Oh, that's a fascinating question to dive into and to think about. I'm going to have to think about it more later because I got fiery mad too at times. And when I get on the subway and there are people taking up three seats, uh, who could be taking up a single seat, but they're just spreading out. I believe it's mm-hmm. called man spreading. I used to just be angry and fume, and I have had things come out of my mouth that I am surprised. I'm like, move over. And I'm yeah. like, oh, oh, who said that? Oh, that was me. That was angry pregnant lady. She just yeah. said it. It's also been kind of cool to have access to that like angry power. And I think it's repressed yeah. in a lot of women because it, it's cultured out of us, at least in Western Americanize this strange culture that we live in. Oh, I love the story of you putting your hands on that TSA agent. <laughs> that makes me so happy. I will, I will never forget his face. I will never forget that moment. I mean, I because now I even when I tell the story, I was like, you really went for it. Like, I it just seems like a different person when I tell the story. I'm like, oh my god, I really it was just like this rage rose up in me, and I was like, no, sir, you will not talk to me that way just because you're mad that I don't want to go through the metal detector, you know. <laughs> So you have a little one. What has it been like to become a parent and a mother? What has that been like? You know, when I go back to this idea of sharing, because I said, I think it was the first time I've talked about that. I really remember that feeling of ambivalence that I had. It's crazy that I felt so ambivalent because I feel so present and like, I mean, it'll make me cry every time, but so deeply in love. It's like my most favorite thing that I've ever done. 
it totally makes me emotional just talking about it, but it really is. It's just, I love being her mom. I love it. I love our time together. It's so precious. It fills me up in ways that I just didn't even know, you know, places that I didn't even know needed filling or wanted filling. And certainly, you know, it's hard. I mean, I'll say that maybe we got lucky. I don't know. She's been a very easy baby for the most part. She sleeps well and eats well and nurses well and has a, you know, a pretty even temperament. But even when she doesn't, my husband's like, I don't know where you get this patience from. Yeah, I just, I feel like I have a level of patience with her that I'm like, whatever, it's all good. Like, it's okay. If you're upset, it's okay. And I feel really good in the role. It feels really incredible and full and delicious. And the hardest thing about parenting is for right now, at least, and I'm, you know, I'm sure things will change as she gets older and things will get hard in terms of from a parenting perspective because we haven't even reached toddlerhood or any of that. But um, right now, the things that feel hard are not the parenting part. What feels hard is the split between parenting and what to do with business, you know, and how to grow business, how to run business, what I want to do with it. That's the part that feels hard because so much of my brain and heart and creativity and love is going towards her right now. And how do I reserve some of that, share some of that, put some of that into my business is what I'm really trying to figure out right now. That's not an easy question to be <laughs> grappling with. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there are people who come on the show and they talk about how they it lit them up and it really created clarity. And other people who said it just took a while. It took a while mm-hmm. to regain footing or or even to find the next thing. And you're coming off of three really huge things. Pregnancy, you also launched something in your business, your book and the altered show. So you've had yeah. this huge year. I wanna ask you what's next, but I also want to give you space for having not having a next thing because yeah. sometimes things don't come. Boom, 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 boom. Yeah. Well, and I think what's interesting, you know, I think every business is obviously different. I think what's sort of the questions that come up for me, my brand is such a personal brand. And I've always in my writing, it's not that I share everything in my personal life. I certainly don't. But I share, you know, personal life snippet stories that are ultimately universal for everyone, right? And so I think a big question is, because it's such a personal brand is, do people want to hear about motherhood? Because like, that's all I got to talk about right now. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And I think that's a little bit of like, what's next question is, do I go into motherhood stuff? Do I create products and programs that are geared, you know, more specifically towards moms? You know, when I started my business, interestingly, and I'm sure people listening can really relate. When I started my business, when I started those workshops in New York City, I was a performer. And who was coming to my workshops? They were other performers because they were exactly the people that I identified with. I knew the problems that they were facing and I knew what they were trying to accomplish because I was them. And then they told their friends. And so, you know, a lot of my business when it began was really, I was teaching what I most needed to learn, basically. Now, of course, the business expanded. And now I think the consumers now are anywhere from you know, moms to there's empty nesters, there's women in their 50s and 60s who end up buying the program. But I think the biggest question is like, the topics that I'm most interested in right now on a personal level are parenting related. And do I bring that into my brand? You know, and how do I bring that into my brand? And what does that look like? And I think those are the questions that I'm grappling with right now. It's such an interesting question, because there's such universality to parenting. Everybody was born And to some extent, I think our society is so strange that we separate parenting and children so much and act like, oh, they should be over here and we should be over there. Mm. That's such a thing that it's something I think about all the time. But then at the same time, it's true. Not everyone's going to go on this journey with you. How do you hold that question and deal with it and say, okay, are my customers coming with me? Am I shifting direction? What's happening next? Mm-hmm. I'm just asking it because I'm sure listeners yeah. are also asking it. You and I don't have to provide all the answers for everyone. We can also all be in yeah. the questions. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. I want to know about the book now that the book is the next thing being born. How do you feel about the book coming out? And what does it feel like to have written your first book? Yeah, I'm so proud of it. I, you know, as I mentioned, wrote it while I was pregnant and writing a TV show. So then finally handed it in, like she was born in November, handed it in in early January, then got back the first round of edits, probably like, 
I don't know, maybe the end of March or April. So I had a big amount of space between when I handed it in. I had a baby, like every, you know, like the whole world had changed when I finally got it back for edits. And so when I had the chance to go back and reread it and re-edit things, I was like, wow, this is really good. You know, this is, this is really good material. And this is the material that I've been teaching for a really long time. And it's packaged in a really beautiful way. And there's so much good, juicy content that's very doable and that people can apply into their lives. The way the book is set up is that each chapter deals with a particular topic, a particular theme. So whether that's around taking inspired action, whether that's around getting really clear on your desires and what you want. I have a chapter on courage, a chapter on celebrating your achievements. And so throughout the chapter, there are stories that, as I mentioned, I always love to share personal stories and client stories woven with really wonderful and deep and profound journaling exercises that like, if you do them, you will have a shift from doing the journaling exercises alone. But then what we'll do is I'll introduce a mantra in each chapter. So the mantra perhaps is around courage, the journaling exercise around courage. And then at the end of the chapter, there's a five minute movement portion, movement and mantra portion. And I made it really simple. You learn two very simple movements that you put together with the mantras to create a five minute movement pattern for yourself. So you basically take everything that you learned in the chapter and do exactly what you said you do is you get them into your body so that they become really sticky so that the concept of courage is not just an intellectual one, but it's a physiological one. What does it feel like to feel courageous inside your body? Not just like, oh yeah, I think today I'm going to be brave. No, you're going to feel brave. You're going to feel courageous in every cell and every muscle of your body. And so that's how the book is laid out. And of course, there's video along with it. So you get the book, you can look at the book to do the exercise. Also come and see the videos to do the exercises with me. I'm so proud of the book because I think it's just really a culmination of all the work that I've been doing. I mean, I started my business over 10 years ago. So this is content and information that I've been gathering and teaching for the last 10 years. And it's really beautiful to see it in book form and I'll get to see it in bookstores and on people's shelves. And yeah, it's going to be great. Well, congratulations on all of it. And thanks for bringing us into your life and what it felt like to be both an entrepreneur and a new parent and go through these journeys. Where can people find out more about you and where should they go to find out about the book? Everything is on my website, erinstutland.com. I am also on the social medias at erin.stutland on Instagram and Facebook. You can just search Erin Stutland. And the book is now on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, all the booksellers that are online. Again, it's called Mantras in Motion, Manifesting What You Want Through Mindful Movement. So you can search the book or, of course, come to the website and there'll be links there. We have a bunch of delicious bonuses, too, with the book. So if you go to the website, erinstutland.com, and you click on the link where the book, you'll see what all the juicy bonuses are when you pre-order the book. I'm so excited for you. Thanks for being here. Thanks for taking the time to do such a long interview. It was such a joy to have you. Thank you so much again. It was wonderful to talk to you. And you know, I always say this and I mean it. Leave us a review on iTunes if you like our show. It takes a few seconds and it really does help us a lot. If you want more of what we're talking about, go over to startuppregnant.com and get on our email list. We send out a weekly newsletter with time-saving tips for parents and entrepreneurs. And I always include a weekly gadget or tool or something awesome that we've stumbled upon to help make your life just a little bit easier. And as always, you can reach out to us at hello at startuppregnant.com. We love hearing from you.